Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by swan.com. So there has been a lot of chatter on Twitter about BitVM, compute anything on Bitcoin. This is a computing paradigm to express Turing complete Bitcoin contracts. And joining me today is the creator, Robin Linus, as well as Super Testnet, a pseudonymous developer who is also building on this idea. Robin and Super Testnet, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for having me. Great. So, uh, look, let's just start. Talk, we're going to talk about BitVM and obviously have this explained for the Bitcoiners out there. So, Robin, do you want to just start with a little bit of your motivation? Like, why did you, why were you working on this idea? Yeah, at the end, uh, we want to scale Bitcoin. And um, a good way to do that would be uh, having some kind of trusted two-way pack like some kind of um, bridge to bridge Bitcoin to other chains. And um, yeah, since my background is mostly in like zero knowledge proofs and validity proofs, uh, I always wanted to have like some kind of validity proof verifier on Bitcoin. And yeah, since it's very hard to change Bitcoin and it's very hard to find consensus on new pro proposals, um, some crazy people like Super Testnet and Sam Parker and I uh, we created that Telegram group to like try to hack some kind of ZKP verifier into Bitcoin. And um, that was the motivation behind BitVM. Great. And so do you mind giving us uh, sort of a explanation in layman's terms of what Bit BitVM is? Um, it tries to mimic basically the same functionality that the Ethereum virtual machine gives you. So it enables basically smart contracts on Bitcoin, complex smart contracts. Okay. And uh, so I think uh, Super Testnet, let's, let's hear a little bit from yourself as well. You were commenting that this is a really exciting discovery in the history of Bitcoin script. So can you elaborate a bit on your thoughts there? Yeah, one of my favorite things to do is try and find novel and interesting things to do with Bitcoin script. Um, so sometimes things that people haven't thought of before. Um, so a couple of things I've made in the past, uh, I let, a couple of years ago, I made something called um, Rule 110 in Bitcoin Script. It's one of my GitHub projects where I made this, um, I made this like automaton or this, um, uh, what do they call them? A, a, a single cell like animation that I, that I ran in Bitcoin Script where it would like draw a triangle on the screen. And it was really fun. Uh, and I use a lot of Boolean logic for that, um, which is like this, this uh, primitive in computer science. And then the next year, I made something called for loops in Bitcoin script. Which is, this is last year. I made something called for loops in Bitcoin script, which are um, another uh, another primitive that allows you to have a um, you, you unroll the loop where you say, like, you're, I'm going to run the same code like seven times. And on the seventh try, then it'll finally like close the loop and, and exit and do something else with the code. Uh, and that also involved a lot of really core primitives. Um, and then this year, I tried to implement SHA-256 in Bitcoin script. I actually wanted to re-implement the entire uh, SHA-256 algorithm, doing it entirely in Bitcoin script. Robin helped me a lot with that, uh, and that was kind of what got us talking for the first time. Then we joined this group together where we were trying to do more stuff with Bitcoin script because um, you know, we, were, we were actually pretty successful with that. And uh, the BitVM sort of emerged out of that where we realized if we can do SHA-256, if we can do loops, if we can do Boolean logic, you know, we can combine all these things and turn them into a virtual machine that has um, pretty powerful characteristics. 
Okay, and so I think most people might not be really familiar with what Bitcoin Script is. Uh, and so do you mind just, you know, can one of you just give a very basic level explanation for that for the non-programmer Bitcoin users out there? Okay, Bitcoin Script is um, like a simple smart contracting language that allows you to express mostly things like signatures, multi-signatures, time locks, hash locks, like um, the most basic primitives of smart contracts. And um, with these things, you can already express stuff like Lightning Network or like um, yeah, multi-signatures. You can have like basic vaults. And um, yeah, you can have like the most simple smart contracting functionality that uh, people are aware of nowadays. And um, it is intentionally limited. Like it's intentionally not Turing complete. It's um, a stack-based language and like it's similar to Forth. And um, the yeah, it's it's intentionally intentionally limited to not create unnecessary attack surface. And um, it was even more expressive in the beginning, but then uh, Satoshi realized at some point that there was like a bug in one uh, implementation, uh, in one opcode, and then he just got paranoid and deactivated lots of opcodes at once and uh, kind of crippled Bitcoin script a lot to dumb it down to not create any uh, yeah, unnecessary attack surface. I see. And Super Testnet, anything to add there in terms of uh, script Bitcoin script? Just that um, one of one of the things Satoshi left in, or a couple of the things Satoshi left in, was Boolean logic, uh, which is this primitive that's used in the creation of computer circuits. Uh, in fact, like every every microchip is a series of these things called Boolean logic gates, uh, and and by leaving those um, functions inside of Bitcoin, uh, he he ma he made it so that you can recreate a lot of the uh, functions that he removed. And uh, and so that's kind of what we're, we're we're like exploiting the fact that we still have Boolean logic to make um to make BitVM. I see. So it, maybe one way to think about this is Bitcoin has a programming language. It's been specifically cut down, uh, and part of that was for historical reasons, where maybe it was seen that that could create risks of shutting down the network. And what's going on here is it is a kind of creation of like a almost like a virtualizing a commute a computer into the way bitcoin uh computes its scripting is that a fair way to put it yes maybe an important detail is that um this uh, bitvm never really executes much computation on bitcoin it only ever disproves incorrect executions so that is I very see, different yeah, so than Regular right, it's an important distinction to make rather than the idea of like every computer having to do all the computation. It's more like a, as you as you point out in your paper, it's more like a solver and a, uh, what's the other term? A disprover? Yeah. A prover and a verifier. Sorry, prover and a verifier, right. And so I think that's maybe more aligned with, let's say, how people are thinking about it in a Bitcoin context. It's more like this idea that everybody's running their own Bitcoin node because obviously there's no centralized server here. Everyone's running their own Bitcoin node. And you are just sort of engaging in a similar way, like with Lightning, there's kind of like a, you know, you're just engaging in this two-party channel state back and forth. And maybe it's, yes. it's, there's some similar dynamic with that. So BitVM sort of has similarities with DLC, Lightning, and things like this, but it's being done in a way 
where you are, let's say, disproving. Now, I guess probably the big thing that a lot of people will be listening and thinking, well, hang on, what's the point of all this? I just want to have my sound money. Like, is this going to help me? uh, Or is this going to help Bitcoin become sound money or become more saleable in some way? Do you have any uh, thoughts to share on that? Yeah, like my personal vision is that we really have hyper Bitcoinization. That means like I can pay everywhere with Bitcoin. And um, to do that, we would need to be able to process way more Bitcoin transactions than we currently can. Even the Lightning Network doesn't really scale to billions of people. And um, yeah, the big dream would be that we can really process millions of transactions per second, millions of Bitcoin transactions per second. And um, yeah, stuff like uh, sidechains would enable that. And uh, if we had like some kind of bridge to sidechains, then uh, we could basically process all of the all of humanity's transactions all of mankind's tra- tra- transactions on bitcoin and that would be the big dream i would add so, that there yeah. uh, similar things have been said about about the lightning network there's a lot of people who just aren't interested in using it and that's perfectly fine if you if you just want to get some bitcoin put it into cold storage and uh and, and that's what you want bitcoin for is to protect your savings that's great you can do that um but some people also want to use their bitcoin for regular day-to-day payments lightning is a good option for that and some people want to use them in fancy uh, fancy scripts and contracts, and BitVM is good for that. So I, I, I like options. I like people being able to do what they want. And, and I think BitVM uh, may open up some additional options in how people might want to use their Bitcoins. I see, yeah. And so the elements of scalability that you mentioned there, so I guess what I'm reading from you, gentlemen, there is, Robin, you're speaking there about scalability, uh, and Super Testnet, you're speaking also about scripting capability. Now, of course, I'm sure, Robin, you also agree on the scripting capability. Um, but in terms of scaling Bitcoin, as you mentioned, there's this idea of a two-way peg and having side chains. Uh, is it also correct to say there might be other scalability wins here, potentially, from, a, from emulating aspects of covenants uh, i've heard people talk about let's say as an example check template verify which could help people have congestion control which in turn could help people with lightning network do you see any benefits in that in that vein with bitvm um we are still very early at exploring the the boundaries of what bitvm can do and what it can't do um, in that paper that I released yesterday, um, that was focused on like the two of two or the two-party setting, which is very limit, uh, very similar to Lightning um, channels. However, um, it might be possible to have like an open-ended setting, like you have one prover and basically everybody can become a verifier and challenge their claims. And if that is possible, then we can use BitVM to emulate basically every opcode proposal. I think. Yeah, sometimes it's called a star topology or an asterisk topology, um, or a, it's also known as a hub and spoke model, uh, where you have a central party who is uh, acting as the prover, and then uh, he has a two uh, a two of two relationship with a bunch of users, and, and so this whole group can connect to this one central party. Uh, they can rely on that party to make computations for them because each of them knows uh, he can't lie. He can't make a false computation, otherwise he would, you know, lose his money and uh, and forfeit a bond that the that the group could take. Um, so you can kind of uh, expand um, from just having it, it work in a two party setting to work in a star party setting or a, or a one to n party setting. Uh, interesting. Okay, yeah. So because that was another area where people were commenting that uh, this would not enable some kind of global state, right? It's more like 
channel sort of style um, state. But what you're saying is it could be you could have hubs and now that could be seen like a big centralization vector. But in this case, the individual users are able to make sure they're not being stolen from. So that could mitigate that, right? Yeah. Yeah. In, in some versions of the hub and spoke model, you have to you have to trust you know the 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 hub not to steal from you, but at least um, in this case, and, and also in the case of Lightning, um, there's also uh, some parts of the Lightning network use a hub and spoke model, um, like um, what are they called? Lightning service providers do this, and in both cases, um, it, you don't have to trust the hub. You know, the hub can't take your money. Um, if if you want to use them, you can, and if you don't want to use them, you can't. You don't have to, but uh, at least if you do choose to use them, you know that they're not. You're not trusting them to to like not steal from you. Um, you're just relying on them to provide some service to you and others. I see. Okay. And so maybe at a high level, we can think of this. Um, I, I know in your paper, Robin, you call out that it's, it has some similarities with what's known as an optimistic roll-up. So do you mind spelling that out for us? Like what are some of the similarities here with BitVM and optimistic roll-ups? And sort of what what does that mean benefit you know benefit wise to Bitcoin users? Yeah, the fundamental idea behind optimistic rollups is um, this um, this idea that you can just make a claim and claim that some statement is true. For example, hey, uh, I, I burned some coins in some sidechain, so I'm allowed to take some coins on the main chain. And um, the idea of optimistic rollups is just that I make that claim. And if that claim is correct, then everything is fine and I can just take the money. But if that claim is incorrect, then everybody can challenge me and disprove my claim and like succinctly give a fraud proof for my claim. And then I lose my money. And um, this setting, yeah, that has been explored on altcoins. And um, BitVM is basically uh, a way to import this idea onto Bitcoin. It's also been explored more recently in the Bitcoin setting by the proposers of um, of Matt uh, Merkelize all the things. Uh, so that's a that's a recent proposal that's been talked about in the Bitcoin mailing list, and uh, they're also they've also been exploring this this kind of uh, what we call optimistic computation. Um, so uh, they they were part of an inspiration they actually cited in the paper uh, as an inspiration because we we kind of used their model and, and figured out a way to say well you know actually. Um, uh, Taproot Merkelizes all the things, so so let's just do what they're doing, but in Taproot. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. Okay, great. And so let's let's take it maybe one step more into detail. So, Robin, can you explain a little bit about the mechanics of BitVM and how it's working, just to overview that for us? Okay. Um, like the most basic idea is like to boil everything down to binary circuits, and um, to make that we. Uh, need something called bit commitments. A bit commitment is basically um, I have a variable, let's call it A, and the variable can have the value zero or it can have the value one. And um, now I, as the prover, I want to set that value and I want to set it once and for all. I want to say, okay, A has now the value one. And um, whenever I reuse that variable A again, I have to use the value one. If I don't use the value one, if I, like the next time I claim the value would be zero, then I equivocate it. Like then uh, equivocation means like I said it's zero one time and the other time I said it's one, and that allows you as the verifier to take my deposit. 
So you can punish me for equivocating. If, if I ever say A is 1 and also A is 0, then you can take my money. Gotcha. That so in this context, equivocating is kind of like cheating in a lightning channel or something like that. Like you did the wrong yeah. thing. Yeah. Like I can only claim that like uh, a valid claim is that A is 1 or A is 0. But if I claim yeah. A is 1 and then the, the next day I claim A is 0, then... Uh, yeah, then I lied. Then I made like a claim that is inconsistent, and every inconsistent claim can be punished. An equivalent thing in lightning is um, is with justice transactions. When when you when you want to close a lightning channel, you have to uh, you have to say what the latest state is, and if at some point prior in the history of that lightning channel you uh, you said no, this is not the latest state. This new state is the latest. Uh, then you've contradicted yourself or equivocated, and someone can punish you. Or your counterparty can punish you and take take the money that you tried to take from them, um, or even more. Uh, so we we use a very similar mechanism where we we uh, define variables, um, and then if you equivocate on the variable, if you say it was it was this and now it's this, um, then you so the, your counterparty can take your money in that context. And the really cool okay. thing is about that that it's off-chain state. Like um, I can reveal like the the, the pre-image has like two hashes, hash zero and hash one. And if I reveal the pre-image to hash one to you, then uh, you then, then I set the value to one. If I reveal the pre-image of hash zero to you, then I set the value of the the commitment or the value of the variable to one, uh, sorry, to, to zero. And um, so depending on what pre-image I reveal, I can set the value. And um, the cool thing about that is that it's introducing... Um, state across different utxos or across different scripts and that is a very novel thing because usually scripts are limited to a particular utxo like only this execution and then the environment is deleted forever but with this trick of bit commitments you can introduce variables that exist across different scripts and across different utxos and that is pretty much at the heart of the innovation here that we can have state across different UTXOs. Another um, factor in the, uh, that, that lies at the heart of how Bit, BitVM works um, is the, the concept of like deconstructing a program. Um, so any, any program um, that exists, like any, any piece of code or any software, has to end up running on a microchip. And since microchips are constructed out of these tiny little circuits called logic gates, uh, you can actually deconstruct any program and turn it into uh, a bunch of these logic gates that are that are hooked together. Um, and so we do that. We actually take, you know, we, in the virtual machine, you insert a program. You say, I, I want to run this program. And the virtual machine parses it and processes it and turns it into uh, a bunch of connected logic gates. Uh, and each one of those logic gates then goes in a tap leaf of a Merkle tree in a taproot trend, uh, a taproot address. Uh, and by having this deconstructed program, it allows you to actually check every step of the execution of that program. You can say, okay, you know, in step A, it has to go through this logic gate. And in step B, it has to go through this one. You can check every step and say, did the, uh, did the prover, um, accurately and incorrectly execute each step of the program? Uh, you can check that in a Bitcoin transaction or in a, in a Bitcoin address. 
And uh, if they do, if they do execute everything correctly, then well and good, the um, the prover gets to take some sort of payment for doing that service for you. But if they messed up or if they uh, tried to cheat or if they equivocated, uh, you can detect that because you have every step of the program. Uh, and so you can detect that and then say, here's the proof where they tried to cheat. Here's the proof where they equivocated. Here's where they ran the program incorrectly. Um, and then you can take the prover's money. So so that that's kind of uh, another uh, heart, at the heart of this is like, Deconstructing a program and turning it into all these tiny little steps that Bitcoin can actually yeah. uh, understand. Back to the show in a moment. The lead sponsor of this show is Swan.com. You can use Swan.com or the Swan Bitcoin app for safe and easy Bitcoin buys. You can set up a recurring purchase plan or you can do a one-time buy. And Swan also provides free automated withdrawals to your self-custody. So this is a great way for you to take control of your own Bitcoin rather than leaving them with another platform. You can spin up your own wallet and Swan will automatically send the coins out to you every time as you are regularly stacking sats. Now, Bitcoin can be volatile and it's also important to think about Bitcoin education. So Swan also provides a lot of free educational resources such as free books and free podcasts and all kinds of material that you can use to learn about Bitcoin. Get $10 of free Bitcoin added to your account when you sign up and start stacking with Swan over at swan.com slash Levera. And now back to the show. And as you pointed out, this is something that was uniquely enabled by Taproot because of this the structure of Taproot. And so the, I guess one of the questions or criticisms I've seen is this idea that you would be creating these massive, massive uh, tap leaves or tap trees, right? Uh, and so could you just elaborate a little bit about that aspect of this that, you, you know, the, I, I guess what we're getting at here is the initial setup time. Um, because let's say we're setting up a, you know, we're setting up some kind of BitVM structure. There's going to be a lot of talking back and forth, uh, a lot of computation required in order to make this work. Yeah. Yeah, like you have to set up that circuit once, and you have to express it in uh, in a taproot or like in multiple taproots. And um, real world programs can easily be like billions of gates and billions of gates would basically mean that you need billions of tab leaves. So you need to compute that huge tab, um, tab true, uh, tab tree up front. And, um, yeah, people were criticizing it, but I think they were mostly criticizing it because they didn't really get how, how it can work out in practice. Um, it is right that if you would just naively take a regular program and just compile it to a circuit, then it would become like gigantic and it would probably be not possible in practice or like it would just take days or weeks to compute it up front and that would be uh, not a good user experience and it wouldn't probably it would probably not catch on. Um, but it is not necessary to do it in that way. The thinking where these people are coming from is the regular thinking of like executing programming. If you, if you really have to execute everything, then you need to represent every gate. That is true. But here we are not executing the, the computation. We, we are verifying a particular execution and verifying a particular execution is all of, of magnitude easier than executing an entire computation. And uh, we can craft circuits cleverly in a way such that um, we need every circuit only once. For example, let's say we have a, a single uh, a single circuit for SHA-256. And um, now we want to do a million SHA-256 calls. 
we don't need to copy that circuit a million times. We need it only once because we need to execute it at most once and exactly in that case that the prover lied. As long as the prover is saying, hey, uh, as long as the prover is making correct claims, like he's saying the hash of this pre-image is that hash, the hash of this pre-image is that hash and so on. As long as these claims are correct, we never need to really compute them. We don't need to disprove them. We only ever have to disprove an incorrect claim. So let's say the verifier makes a million claims about hashes and then like the million and first claim is incorrect. Then we only have to verify or like disprove this this last claim and all the other claims, we never have to touch them because they were already correct in the first place. So there is no need to disprove them or there is no way to disprove them if they are correct. Yeah, and so as you've pointed out in the paper, the cooperative case of this BitVM, a lot of this can be kept off-chain per se. Um, And it's only in the case where somebody is trying to cheat or somebody is doing it wrong that you then have to actually go to chain, correct? And then I presume in this case, it's not that this massive transaction has to hit the chain, it's that you're taking a, a, a component of the transaction and that's what goes on chain, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, you show you show where the error happened. So so you take one one of these logic gates, one one tiny little um, piece of code. It's it's about ten lines of code, and you say this is where the error happened, uh, and that that so that it's not very much. It's it's like um it, it's it's smaller than a lightning uh, a lightning panel, penalty transaction. Gotcha, and I guess maybe this is a terminology thing as well, but this has been a hotly debated idea, this notion of Turing completeness. So can you guys elaborate a little bit on that idea? It, it, well, I guess, firstly, could you, could, um, could you explain what does Turing complete mean and maybe your view on whether that's a good or bad thing for Bitcoin? Because I think some people have said, oh, no, that's a bad thing. Maybe if you could explain your view on that. Turing complete in general means um, like a, a computer is, is Turing complete if it can compute everything that is computable. That's basically the simple explanation of it. Yeah, there's a there's a certain class of programs um, or problems that aren't aren't uh, decidable by by computers. Uh, like what's the last digit of pi? It, it's not a computable number because pi is not a rational number. Um, and it's if you if you limit your um, your co- computation to the subset of problems that are actually that computers can actually solve for us, uh, then a Turing machine or a Turing com- complete computer is one that's capable of solving all of those problems. I see. And then, any thoughts on that being good or bad for Bitcoin? Uh, I, I presume, obviously, you're saying it is a good thing um, to have. Uh, I. You know, I'm not saying I necessarily share this criticism, but I've seen this criticism out there that people have this idea that it would be a bad thing for Bitcoin. Can you explain your views on on that? I think what these opinions are coming from is mostly that, um, for example, in the EVM, you have lots of complexity on the protocol level. Uh, The EVM itself is very complex and... uh, that uh, complexity, we don't want to have it on Bitcoin. We want to keep Bitcoin as simple as possible because if it's simple, then we can easily reason about uh, the limitation or the security of the system mostly. And um, the way we are uh, enabling Turing complete computation here is very different than Ethereum because we don't increase the complexity of the base layer. The base layer still stays very simple and uh, operations on the base layer are very simple. And um, 
also the the amount of data that has to get written into the base layer is very limited it's not like in ethereum where like everybody writes their contracts into the ethereum chain and everybody has to keep them forever uh that is not the case here everything like basically everything is off chain in the cooperative case you don't even notice on the chain that somebody run a bit vm it, on the on, in the in the cooperative case it's just a regular schnorr signature it's just a two-party uh, transaction that is the most simple thing you can have on Bitcoin almost. And um, that is way better, I think, from the security point of view and like from the decentralization point of view um, because like all the complexity is shifted off-chain. It's not on the base layer and it's not a burden of the entire network to verify everything of everyone. It's uh, In my opinion, a Turing-complete programming environment would be bad for Bitcoin and, and I don't I'm, I'm glad that we that Bitcoin isn't is limited and does not have Turing complete um, capabilities, and one of the reasons for that is because um, computers actually can't distinguish between a program that's computable and one that's not. Uh, they don't they don't know if a, if a program is computable when they first see it. They have to like run it to find out. Uh, and if it is uncomputable, if there is an uncomputable function, they can get stuck. They can get stuck forever. Uh, it's it's called like the halting problem in uh, computer science. Uh, so if we did have Turing complete programming on Bitcoin, um, it would be potentially really bad because someone could submit a transaction that nodes can't actually validate, and uh, and so they would they would just get they would get stuck. They'd get stuck trying to validate this transaction forever, um, or at least until like until someone comes up with a different block that doesn't have that transaction in it. Uh, so I think that would be bad to have on Bitcoin, and and so by uh, implementing BitVM in a co context where we don't have Turing com a Turing complete programming language, we have we have to find like clever ways of uh, of working around that. And, and the solution we came up with is to uh, create the program outside of Bitcoin. Um, you you actually demonstrate outside of Bitcoin that the program is computable. And then you put this this already complete program, this already this this program that's already known to be um, computable. You put that in a tap leaf or in in a tap tree, uh, and that way Bitcoin can't get stuck. It, it it takes advantage of the fact that Bitcoin can't solve or can't even try to solve these uh, uncomputable programs. Uh, you just have to prove in advance that it's actually solvable. Yeah, and I guess the other way to explain that is you could say, as you're saying, there's this halting problem. You don't want the network to come to a halt, obviously, and there's no centralized server here. It's just tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people with their Bitcoin node running and doing this stuff. But what we could say is in a BitVM context, if let's say you and I super enter into this kind of BitVM arrangement, if we screwed up our program, it would only screw up you and me, right? It wouldn't screw up everybody else who's running Bitcoin. Well, it wouldn't even screw us up because um, what would happen is you, you'd have to You'd have to the, the prover would have to create this program and solve it, and then uh, put the program on Bitcoin and show the and show the, his counterparty the solution. But if he could never do that, if he could never actually solve it, um, you, you you just get stuck at right. step one. We would never have been able to start this thing to begin with. Yeah, you you could create the funding transaction. You could put money into this tap uh, tap tree, but uh, the the verifier would just get his money right back out because the solver could never could never pro provide a solution to the. Um, he could never provide a valid path through a circuit that never halts. Gotcha. Okay. And so then in terms of what kinds of possibilities this is going to enable, uh, obviously, this is early days, right? The paper just came out yesterday. Um, but 
if you could spell out for us what you think they might be. So as you mentioned, I guess maybe we can talk a little bit about this two-way peg idea, Robin. Could you explain a little bit of what you think that view for Bitcoin could be? Like, are you saying somebody could use BitVM or a future version of BitVM and create some kind of trustless or quote-unquote trustless two-way peg in and out, and that would then enable transactions on a side chain that can then be pegged back into Bitcoin? Yeah, that's the big dream, and I'm optimistic that it will work out. I'd also like to point out that um, b- before we go into the use cases, I'd like to remind everyone that Bit- BitVM is uh, it's, it's very very limited right now, uh, extra- extraordinarily limited. All we have is the virtual machine itself implemented and one function. We, we have one single function that can actually run in this thing implemented so far. And it's uh, it's actually a useful function. It's called a zero-checking function. And we use it in Bitcoin for stuff like proof of work. Um, but that we, only, we only have this one thing. Like, in order to build out, uh, you know, side chains or covenants or any of the cool stuff that we, you know, we might be able to do with BitVM, uh, we need a lot more tools. We need, we need to write a lot more functions, get them running in this thing, get them... Um, uh, get them optimized and uh, and like make developer tools so that developers can actually create contracts, write them, and debug them. Uh, so that'll be that's a long road to hoe. You know, we're not we're not we're nowhere near a, a situation where you can do all this fancy stuff on BitVM. Um, it's 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 very the very bare bones implementation right now with one function. So so we're not there yet. Yeah, totally fair to point out. And I guess the other big advantage as as you were. Uh pointing out is that this does not require a soft fork so this is possible to do with bitcoin today so i guess that's the important point um and that uh, yeah it's basically like the matt proposal merkelize all the things but without a soft fork that's that's the Um, so one of the things that i'd be excited for is is to find out if we can do any form of covenants with this so um covenants are a are a type of transaction in bitcoin um, or even a type of address where once money goes into this address, uh, it's predetermined that it's going to go into, uh, it's going to go from there into a predetermined uh, whitelist of other addresses. Uh, and it's possible, I think, that we could implement some, some form of this uh, primitive using BitVM. Um, and, and if we can do that, if we, if we can, then uh, that would open up a lot of doors. It would make ARC uh, a lot easier to build, for example. Um, it would it could help us improve lightning um, so but yeah we, we'd have to, there'd be some work to do before we could do that um, before we could actually do covenants in this if it's even possible so um, so yeah I'm looking forward to finding yeah. out if we can do that as well I see and so as an example with covenants um, so I guess putting that in simple terms Nowadays, we, in terms of what's available today, like things like multi-sig and so on, that I guess that can sort of help you lock the input side of the transaction in terms of what can be spent. But I'm understanding some of what you can do with covenants is, is sort of relating to the output side of the transaction, that you're constraining where it can go or how much of how the much Bitcoin of- in that UTXO can move. So theoretically, in the future, you might... With 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 the generalized idea of covenants, you might say only fifty percent of the coin in this UTXO can you know move or things like this, right? Like you could have, uh, and I think some of this comes in with James Ob's idea of op vault, and that's kind of a related idea. So I guess what, what you're getting at here is, is it you're saying 
Currently in Bitcoin, you can we make a transaction possibility of bit- where um, where you can say like only Alice yep. or Bob can spend this money. Like th- those are the only two people who are allowed to spend it. Yep. They're the only ones with keys. With covenants, you would instead say something like, um, "I'm going to put some money in an address, and 50% of it's going to go to Alice, and 50% of it's going to go to Bob." And you, you sort of right. some people call it like cursing the Bitcoin. Like it, it can't go to anyone else. It has to go to Alice or it has to go to Bob. Um, uh, so that that's what covenants enable, and it's a primitive that allows for building a a, a bunch more stuff. And uh, and so it, it, I, I'm not sure that BitVM uh, creates uh, the possibility of doing covenants with Bitcoin, um, but I think it does, or at least a uh, something similar to them. So uh, so I'd like to explore that and see if we can make that a reality. Okay. Um, in terms of. Uh Data availability. So this is another question um, in the comments. The question was, will it have data availability constraints similar to a roll-up? It depends yeah. on the contract you're building. Um, if you if you were building a roll-up with this, then you'd have the problems that come with roll-ups, one of which is where do you yeah. put the data uh, for a roll-up? Um, and, and yeah, BitVM doesn't offer a solution to that. It's just uh, it's just a way of encoding the the logic for a program um, so that you can execute it on, or so that you can prove or validate whether it was cor- uh, executed correctly on Bitcoin. It does it doesn't solve problems like where do you put the data in a in a rollup context. Um, so yeah, if you were going to do a rollup, you'd have the data availability problem. But uh, of course, not not every contract um, has a data availability problem. There there are, there are t- contract types that just that's not a concern. Um, like that don't produce massive amounts of data that only produce like a megabyte or so. And then you can just store that data locally on your machine. Um, so yeah, it, it depends on the contract you write. I see. Um, and in terms of dealing with fees in a lots of disputes situation, I presume that's just kind of like lightning or just Bitcoin in general today, right? Like if you're, if lots of people are entering into BitVM style arrangements and they need to go to chain is no different to just the same problem that we have today with lots of people let's say closing lightning channels all at the same time today yeah yeah that's why sidechains would be better because in sidechains you don't really have that problem of a mass exit like yeah as long as I see. Well, there, could, there could be a rest of the exits from a sidechain if, if everyone wanted to exit or peg out at once if there were a million people on a sidechain and they all wanted to rush to the exits that could be a problem yeah, but it cannot fail in the sense that the sidechain stops working as long as it is permissionless, right? Yeah, it would just uh, it would ruin it, it would bankrupt the uh, the prover. But yeah, right. so it, it, he would uh, uh, yeah he he wouldn't be able to like not give people their money because uh, BitVM would ensure that they always have a, a peg out option. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Right, and so yeah, that is closer to that idea of this so called trustless two way peg as opposed to um, you know. Uh, having to go through a a federation as an example um, yeah. in one in that context. I mean, in our model, we might have a federation too, but the difference is that the federation is not trusted anymore. Like the federation gotcha. would be required to execute things and like to perform the pack actually. But if they ever stop working or if they do anything that is uh, invalid, then uh, yeah, you can take their deposit and then they will lose more than well, they gain. I wouldn't want to. Um, I wouldn't agree that. If you were in a federation with someone and you were relying on them to process blocks, so they're not trusted in any sense at all, um, they would they would be trusted for some things, but just not with your money. You wouldn't be trusting them with your money. You'd be trusting them to like um, 
not ca cause you an unnecessary expense by suddenly stopping processing blocks on the side chain, causing you to have to exit. Uh, you, you'd have to rely on them not to do that, or at least you'd hope they wouldn't do that because if they if they prove to be an unreliable prover, um, it would cost you time. Uh, it wouldn't cost you money, yeah. but it would cost so you time. It's more like a griefing. Yeah, so I guess at that level, it's more like a griefing concern than a straight up theft concern. Yeah. Yeah, it would be it would be that, and it would also just ruin everyone's day if if everyone was relying on this side chain to keep operating, and they were building businesses on it and stuff, and then suddenly it stopped working. They might not lose money, but um, that their business might not work anymore, and, and so they'd be like, "Well, you, I lost my income, though, so you know, you're still there's still a lot of trust there." Yeah, but a lot of that yeah. is like theoretical concerns. I would like to point out because um, the good thing about sidechains is that once we have some way to do a trustless two-way pack, then um, the sidechain coins will become valuable, or like they will be they value will be equal to BTC. And uh, once there is some way to do the two-way pack or the, the pack out, then uh, you can have like atomic swaps and uh, yeah, perform basically instant packouts between like liquidity providers and, and sidechain users. And, um, yeah, and I mean, even for me, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure it would still be the same value, right? Like if you have, even if we had a trustless two-way peg in and out of Bitcoin, would the trustless two-way peg coins, like the, the sidechain coins be valued the same as Bitcoin? I don't know. Yeah, probably. I, I think they would because you can see it in the Ethereum world that uh, they are pegging ETH to other chains, and it is just as valuable as or within ETH a, within a very close percentile. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know yeah. if if you yeah maybe if, maybe if you had a if you had a very reliable chain then that 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 worked very well, then you'd have it would probably be more desirable to use that, and consequently the network would have more value, and, and perhaps its peg would be closer to Bitcoin. But if you have like a, a new chain that just started up, um, maybe maybe not so much. Maybe they have some kind of bootstrapping phase. Back to the show in a moment. Coinkite.com are the creators of the best Bitcoin hardware security devices. You can get the cold card, which is a fantastic device that you can spin up without even having to phone home. You can literally plug this device into the power and not into a computer and spin up your new wallet, write down your 12 or 24 words, and you can be away and running with your Bitcoin wallet. Now, if you're a beginner, don't be afraid. You can just get the cold card and get a USB-C cable, plug that into your computer, and off you go with software software such as Spectre Desktop or Sparrow Wallet. The cold card offers a lot of functionality that you can use to improve your security. So for example, you can have a brick me pin, a pin that will brick the device when it is input. You can use a passphrase. You can use multi-signature. You can use seed XOR. There's all kinds of features that you can discover when you get your cold card and dig through the menu and read some of the FAQ and README documentation. To get your cold card, go to coinkite.com and use code Levera for a discount there. Mempool.space is the leading Bitcoin explorer that shows Bitcoin as a fully-fledged multi-layer ecosystem. You can view Bitcoin's mempool. You can see the blockchain. You can see transactions and search them. You can view second-layer networks like the Lightning Network. And with mempool.space, you don't even have to trust a third party. It's free and open-source software. You can host it yourself and not need to rely on other people. Also, mempool.space are continually innovating and rolling out new features. You can see things like the RBF history, the replace by fee history for a transaction. They have a mempool accelerator integration, which is coming soon. And you can see all kinds of features over on the website over at mempool.space. And now back to the show. Yeah. 
One other area that um, I saw some discussion on was this notion that if we had, let's say we have BitVM and we had Check Template Verify, would that also change things or make it easier to do this kind of thing? Maybe it improves the multi-party setting. For the two-party setting, you don't need CTV really because you can pre-sign everything and like you can perfectly emulate CTV between two parties. So that won't be an issue. Um, but for the multi-party setting, for like the open-ended setting where you have like a single prover but multiple verifiers or like everybody can be, be a verifier, in that setting, it might be interesting to have CTV. There's an interesting um, post on the Bitcoin developer mailing list uh, yesterday by Anthony Towns, who, um, who did some mathematics on how large a, uh, a circuit could be or how, how large one of these programs could be uh, and still be able to um, validate it in a timely manner and with a, sm a small number of transactions. Uh, and by his mathematics, it looks like uh, you, you could... Um, increase the size of um, the size of a possible program if you added CTV um, by something uh, close to 10 or 12 times. It could get 10 or 12 times bigger, uh, and so that's kind of cool. But um, but yeah, I think already the kind of programs we can have are pretty pretty large. He talks about having 24 million operations in a single program. Um, from mo most stuff that is interesting doesn't doesn't need that many. So so we already have pretty big programs that we could do with this right now. I really want to emphasize that this talk about like the space limitations, they, it's, it doesn't really fit the reality. Like when you, you can build a VM with, let's say 10 gigabytes is all you ever need. Like if, 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 if you're willing to set up a circuit of 10 gigabytes, you will be able to perform more computation than anybody ever needs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know what ever needs, but, it, um, but, a lot of a lot of very realistic and useful things could be built um, with a small number of gates, or I mean, it's it's even a large number of gates. It's like twelve million operations in a single program. Yesterday night, I did a calculation, and uh, I think like with ten gigabytes, you can run like a little like a modern CPU with like large memory and everything for about half a day or so. I think. Yeah. So so very good. You're not going to be finding the next digit of pi, but. But you might be able to, you know, uh, do a peg out from a sidechain. Yeah. I just want to emphasize, I think you can do any amount of computation. You could even sync a Bitcoin full node in a, in a BitVM. <laughs> That's kind of inception-based. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, yeah, so I guess the practicalities then. Like, would that mean BitVM users need to have beefy hardware in order to set this up? Um, you know, is it something that, you know, you're not going to be able to use, like a mobile user is not going to be able to participate in this kind of thing? Um, yeah, like it might be problematic to set up the circuit on a mobile phone, but you could set it up on your, on your desktop computer, on your laptop or so, and then use the same circuit on your phone. That would be possible, I think. Yeah. And it also, um, a lot of this, um, it depends on the circuit. Like, not every circuit that's useful needs to have millions of uh, millions of operations in it that your phone then has to like uh, set up. Uh, if you're just doing something that has you know uh, hundreds or thousands of operations, your phone can do that. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, it really depends on what on what contract you're creating. And it's about intelligent circuit design because like we can design the circuit such that it's easy to disprove it. Like we would not. Like usually in circuit design, you design it such that it's easy to, easy to execute it or it's 
that you can execute it as efficiently as possible. That's usually the design goal. But here we don't have that design goal at all. What we want is to um, be able to disprove an incorrect execution of that circuit as efficiently as possible. And that is a very different design goal. And I think um, yeah, it will be possible to design circuits very, very efficiently such that probably you, at some point you will be able to run everything on a phone as well or to set up everything on a phone as well. Okay, interesting. And it could also be a context where maybe I, I'm maybe I can't think of a good example, but it might be the kind of thing where individuals don't really use this, but it might be like business to business and maybe they would use it and for them it's not a big deal that they have high hardware requirements. Maybe that maybe there's sort of uses of Bitcoin that would make sense like that as well. Yeah, especially in the case of a two-way pack and a two-way pack like the ideas we have been talking about um, usually you have some kind of liquidity providers who, who are the ones who are doing the, the, the big amounts of packs, like packing in like 10 BTC or something to the sidechain or so. That would be like one entity and like maybe a federation of like 50 people or so who, who get slashed if something bad happens or so, something along these lines. So only a very small minority of the, of the users would, would actually have to run the BitVM and uh, most users would not care about it. Gotcha. So maybe that would be sort of analogous to Lightning today with Lightning service providers or yeah. Arc in the future, potentially with Arc service providers. These are meant to be highly proficient users and well capitalized with good hardware. So maybe it's not a big deal for them to have high requirements as long as the end user can still do what he needs to do without necessarily having you know an amazing computer and high capital and all these things. Yeah. You know, your, your phone just has to prove that somebody else proved that, that some contract was executed incorrectly. Like, <laughs> your uh, pr- proofception. Yeah, so I guess it's sort of difficult to explain the practical uh, use of this today for the end user, but I guess as, you, as, as I, I'm trying to summarize it back into what is practical for the end user today, potentially in the future, this allows a two-way peg out to a sidechain or potentially there may be some way to enable covenants in Bitcoin today without a soft fork. Uh, but I guess it's sort of a more research and more effort is required. The end goal is definitely to scale. Or like for me personally, the end goal is to scale Bitcoin to like a million transactions per second. That is, that is what I'm about in general. And, um, but to make like a, just a couple of examples of things that people can relate to more easily is like, for example, you could play chess on a BitVM or poker or Go or stuff like that. That is something that's maybe more easy to grasp. Okay, but I guess for a lot of people, they're just going to say, well, I don't really care about playing chess on Bitcoin. Like I'd go to chess.com or, you know, Lee Chess or something to play chess, right? Yeah, I'm just making these examples to show like what would be possible to compute on Bitcoin now. Like uh, the, the point I want to make is like you can have um, very complex round-based um, computation off-chain on Bitcoin, and it can be basically as complex as you want. Someone pointed out the other day that um, high-stakes post poker can't be done online right now because uh, you don't trust the poker websites with uh, $200 million dollars. Um, but you might trust Bitcoin with that amount of money. And, and so if we could build a poker game in BitVM, um, that, that might be useful for some people. They, they might be like, oh, now I can, now I can gamble $200 million on whether I get a pair of aces. 
Uh, and some people might want to do that. <laughs> not, not me. I, hopefully not anyone reasonable, but, you know. Yeah, possible, I guess. I think maybe there's other concerns with that too, that, uh, you know, nowadays people are worried about bots um, and like high-level poker bots yeah. being able to beat all but the most advanced poker play- human poker players and things like that. Um, but, but just uh, collaboration, like in online poker, the yeah. main problem is that you can never know if all the other people on the table are collaborating against you, right? Right, right. Yeah, that's another one where obviously there have been uh, scandals in the poker world before um, in relation to that kind of thing. Um, okay, so I'm just trying to think about how to best summarize this. So let me try to... Okay, I'm going to try to summarize this. Obviously, it's quite technical, but you, you tell me if I'm getting something wrong here. So the idea is you are creating this prover and a verifier dynamic and a challenge response dynamic, and you're using the fact that Taproot allows you to have these massive, massive tap trees of transactions that allows people to sort of pre-compute things in advance and allow them to compute uh, and then disprove if somebody's doing something wrong. The aim being to enable more scalability or potentially more covenants in Bitcoin. Is that sort of a high-level way to think about this? Yes. The only thing I would add is that we also get privacy if we if we have a two-way pack, we also get privacy basically, not just scalability but also privacy. BitVM potentially gives us a lot of uh, scripting superpowers that uh, have been really hard to do in Bitcoin before, and uh, right now they're still hard, but um, we we have a path now to making them easier, and uh, and so that, that's really cool. But uh, what what we can do with it in the future, we might be able to do covenants, we might be able to do side chains. Uh, and th- those are the two things that I'm currently gunning for, uh, but ho- hopefully, or in, in uh, games as well would be a third one. But hopefully, people, will, you know, pe- people will think think of stuff that we haven't thought of, and then they'll, they'll just uh, be like, you know what? If we have a computer running on Bitcoin now, let's put this on it. Maybe, maybe we'll run, I don't know, Doom on the blockchain, or I mean, not not on the blockchain, <laughs> off the blockchain, I should say. Uh, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what people come up with. Great. Well, uh, bitvm.org is the link. I'll put all the links in the show notes over at stefanlevera.com. Um, any closing thoughts from you guys, Robin and Super Testnet? Yeah, sure. If you want to fund the development, look at the at the Bitcoin address in the paper. And Super Testnet, anything else you want to mention? Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Let's go. <laughs> Thank you for joining me, guys. Thanks Thank a lot for having us. So it is early days with BitVM so far, but those of you interested can find more information in the show notes over at stefanlevera.com slash 520. Let me know what you think. Make sure to share the show out there with your family and friends, and I will see you in the Citadels.